1: I guess Halloween is tomorrow when this comes out yes what are you gonna be for Halloween
0: I don't know I thought I had an idea but I'm just so tired I don't know <laughs> I would have to do it so this we're recording this the week before Halloween so I mean I still have time to like get it together it's not like I have today to like get it together but we're gonna go see a podcasting show so yes yeah. we are on they did Halloween say, yeah they did say you could uh you could dress up, but I think there's, like, limitations, so kind of, like... Yeah, I don't know if I'll do it for the
1: pod, like, yeah. if I do anything, probably for this weekend. This weekend, But that would yeah. be this weekend, that and would be that's this weekend. not that
0: much time. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know, either. But, I mean, definitely, like, you know, we're not trigger treating but there's plenty of tips and tricks, I think, that we've shared... Mm-hmm. Um, about, like, trick-or-treating. On, like, our Facebook and stuff. There's there's yeah. plenty of, like, articles out there
1: that, that mm-hmm. give good suggestions on, yeah. you know, because a lot of people think, oh, it's, you know, Halloween's too difficult because it's, you know, we're trick-or-treating, it's you like know, we're kids so special. Yeah, yeah, but there's a lot of ways. Actually, do you remember the episode of Parenthood where they try to bring Halloween? Because, like, Halloween is, like, such a big part of that family, and so they wanted to do... The kid, Max, yeah, who yeah, yeah. has Asperger's. And right. so they want to be able to do... So they actually go out into the neighborhood, all the houses. Oh, before, right? Yeah, before. Yeah, okay, and they, yeah, like, I give them
0: remember. the... Um, like a flyer,
1: not a flyer. Um, a glow sticks. They oh, give glow sticks to put true. in the pumpkins. Oh right, um, right, right, For all the right, houses, right. and they say, "Hey, you know, do you mind?" And they give them a little, like a little, like handout that you know explains. Yeah. you know, like these are the things. And like he
0: did good. Like he did, they were he, so happy. Yeah, that. I do yeah. It. And I think it's most of the families.
1: Thing, so. Yeah, they did. They found out that like, oh, this is something, and they scheduled a route. So that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. they knew like which houses. So like the houses that they that agreed to like put mm-hmm. the the because mm-hmm. he had an um, affinity for. He didn't like fire. And so that was the biggest thing with the pumpkins is that people Mm -hmm. having candles. So they asked to, like, do that. So, I mean, I'd say more often than not, like, people in neighborhoods, like, if you talk to them... I don't see them ha- I mean yes, there's gonna probably be some people who have a problem with it, but if you go and explain hey situation, we'd really like our kid to be able to participate in this activity. If you're yeah. going to be someone that's gonna be handing out treats and participating in trick or treating, like do you mind doing
0: and I feel like there's just so many more of those kind of like trunk shows they're not trunk
1: shows. Oh but, like, yeah, a like lot trunk of or treats,
0: yeah, and or, like yeah, a lot of um shopping centers and like religious communities are starting to do that and that's almost a little bit more controlled yeah so there's like definitely a lot out there which is which is nice because it's not just like what it was when we were kids.
1: Yeah, we want to make sure that all kids can participate because yeah. it is a fun time. And I mean, yeah, sometimes Halloween can be scary, but there's so many fun movies out there. I just saw that on Netflix, Hocus Pocus. I'll probably be watching that oh, sometime yeah. this week.
0: I watched that on Friday.
1: Oh, <laughs> favorite Halloween movie. It's so
0: fun. But um, it still holds up.
1: but yeah, so it so Halloween will be good. Hopefully, you guys all have a fun and safe Halloween, and all your kids get to have a good time. Hopefully, they have some cute costumes. If you want to go on our page and share pictures of your costumes, your kids' costumes, we'd love that. That would be a cool thread to like start. But so the pod today is going to be a little bit different because as most of you hopefully know, next week, November 6th, is the general election in California. So it's a pretty big one. Um, There's a lot of things going on in terms of looking at California legislature, looking at United States Congress, looking at governorship. You know, we may share our views on a number of things. One of the things that, that we really want to do today is just inform you about some of the things that are on the ballot that you should be aware of. We're not going to touch on everything. We're going to touch on the propositions that relate to kids, families, or education That just to give you some more information because that's the biggest thing, right? It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you're a Democrat or Republican. It matters that you educate yourself on the issues and that you vote because not
0: everyone does that and we hope that you guys all do. Yeah, I think... The saying is, if you don't vote, don't complain. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we wanted to go through a handful. So there's 12 propositions um, on the ballot this year, and you know, there's so many different places that you can go and get like a rundown. And you know, trying to fit it in your crazy schedule, we know, is one other thing that you just don't have time for. So if you're like anybody, you're scrambling like in the voting line, like to read mm-hmm. everything and you know, the actual ballots that we get, unless you're, like, you know, mail home and you can take the time. We thought it'd be easier if you guys kind of just listen to us. We got a lot of our information, obviously, from the actual ballot. It's the voter information guide, guide, which, yeah, yeah, it
1: publishes, like, choose both sides and some rebuttals. But, of course, like, that's not always the only place to get information. It's going to be information that's submitted and approved by the state of California. So, it's not necessarily going to give you all
0: the information that you may need to make a decision, right? And a great summary that we also got a lot from was Vote Save America. It um, comes to you from the guys that created Pod Save America, which is a podcast that Amanda and I listen to because, like you, it's easier to be auditory sometimes and sitting yeah. in all the information. Is it Pod Save? Um, I mean, uh, Vote Save America I believe so. Okay. Yeah, it, it, yeah, and then you could go straight to ballot vote save America.com. they have like a live voting guide so you know you would type in your address and then you yeah. know all the measures for that area yeah. or whatever so it, it was it was a nice guide and then you could have that on your phone yeah. so um
1: we're gonna go through the ballot initiatives today but make sure one thing we do want to note is that there are representatives both california legislature right. and u.s congress that are on there but another big thing is our governor race I remember one year when I was in college and there was an election. And I think the mayor, was it the mayor of L.A. or there was a really big office that was up. For election and I went and voted and I came back to school and I wore my I voted sticker and I probably got like 10 different people asking me if there was an election today Oh, geez. and it was a huge it was a big deal and so one thing people don't always realize is like they see propositions or they-, they see a lot of this stuff especially like nowadays for like Congress and stuff but our governor race that's an important race as well I mean it's the governor does a lot so yeah. just just know that like that that is on the ballot as well we're not going to speak too much on that but we do want you to be aware that's something that you should look into.
0: Yeah, we went through all 12, and we picked the ones that we felt that we could not only just relate to education, but that we felt that we could really kind of bring to your attention. So we're actually starting with Proposition 1. It's the Housing Programs and Veterans Loans Bond. The reason that we wanted to discuss this is because the measure would actually authorize four billion in bonds to support existing affordable housing programs. And through the Inclusive Education Project, a lot of the low-income families that we help advocate on behalf of need affordable housing. They um, are homeless, they're in shelters, and the, you know the struggle is real. Obviously, they're low-income, and, and some of right. them are living in apartments or multiple people in, in a unit. And so we felt it was important to try and talk a little bit about this because it's important for our kiddos to have a roof over their heads.
1: Yeah, well, and, and a big part um, of this one is is this is the mental health one, isn't it, or is that the other one? That's the next one. That's the next yeah, one. Yeah.
0: Sorry. So so this is just in in general, it's for you know affordable housing. So some of the people, you know, you see this in the ads and things like that. Um, but the the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, right? That's the Facebook guy uh, foundation. Yeah. The Affordable Housing Now, Habitat for Humanity California, um, and Congress of California Seniors are supporting it. People who oppose it. Literally, it says, no one on record except Gary B. Weasley, an attorney who decided 40 years ago to provide a rebuttal to every unchallenged constitutional amendment placed on the ballot, no matter what. Again, I'm getting this from Vote Save America. So they're, they're pointing it out. Like nobody is saying no to this, essentially. And, you know, for, for us, we, we would probably be voting yes because. For um, why do I say four hundred billion? It's four billion. Is it four billion? <laughs> that would is be not a... enough. Well, maybe you know, I think it needs the lottery, just... lottery. Now is up oh, to maybe a billion. that's why it's like and everybody's dying. Man, I need it. to get.
1: I forgot I was gonna get a lottery. That's today. what
0: everybody's been telling me. Like a oh, billion, billion dollars, we could just about pay off our student loans. <laughs>
1: Barely by the time tax is <laughs> taken out. So
0: uh, yeah, so in four billion in bonds for housing-related programs, loans, grants, and projects, and housing loans obviously for for our vets. So that one's pretty straightforward. What Amanda was getting to was Prop Two, which the title is uh, using millionaires' tax revenue for homelessness prevention housing bonds measure. So for us, this one was important to talk about because it is dealing with if you're uh, make you make. A million dollars there's a, a special tax it's a 1% tax and that already goes to mental health right. but this initiative would be using part of that to provide housing for people with serious mental mm-hmm. health issues right
1: so We talk about mental health a lot, and one thing that I think a lot of people can agree on is a big part of the homeless population in California is due to mental illness. Now, I get a lot of people who try to say, oh, you know, there's a lot of drug problems and the opioid crisis. Well, at the end of the day, a lot of these people, even if they're dealing with drug or the opioid crisis, it started from mental health, and they self-medicated, so there are a lot of programs out there supporting mental health, but the biggest consistency that we see is, is the access. So a lot of people think, oh, okay, well, there's, you know, there's programs out there, but nobody's accessing it. Well, the majority of the reason that people can't access to it is because they're either not close by... They're homeless, right? So they have no way of accessing these treatment programs. So the idea would be not just to help with housing for people who are homeless, but providing a connection between the treatment and the housing. And so... What it essentially is, is what Vicki was talking about. The Mental Health Services Act was approved by the California voters in 2004, uh, which provided fa- funding for mental health services. And then in 2016, we in California created the No Place Like Home program, which allow money to be spent for low-income housing for people who have mental health issues. But what this would do, the current law requires court approval in order to use any of those funds to actually utilize it, so there's a lot of delay. So what's happening is it's it's really not doing as much. So they want to not increase taxes. We're not increasing anything. We're not adding anything Mm. to the deficit or anything along those lines. All we're doing is taking money already
0: set aside for mental health and putting it... Mm. I was gonna to say to put it into perspective, as of 2017, California has had 134,000 in homeless people, and that's about 14 percent from the prior year. And this is just coming from the U.S. Housing and Urban Development Department report, and they found that nearly one third of those people suffer from mental illness. So it's just like a building block yeah. as to how to address you know uh, several issues, and and I think the what some opponents are saying the national alliance on mental health or on mental illness um actually indicated like look we already got this money to use just for mental health services we don't want it to be reallocated to housing which which is a fair argument it's a fair argument and so of course we don't want
1: you to just take our words for it right we're going to try to give mm-hmm. you both perspectives so mm-hmm. you can see mm-hmm. kind of where we're coming from so yeah so the argument is that the mental health services programs are already not working because we clearly have a mental health epidemic and we have lots of homeless population. So if it's, it's already like the people, it's already challenging to access it. Why are we going to make it worse? But the side that I see and the side that I think people who are, are supporting Proposition 2 are essentially saying, look, the program that we currently have is not working it's not working. So to keep the status quo isn't going to do anything. And we do believe that there is a correlation between the housing issue and mm-hmm. access. Mm-hmm. So the reason why kids people aren't able to access it is because of the housing. So mm-hmm. and one thing you can look at is there was a study done this year 2018 called the RAND study, RAND That found that the Proposition 2 approach is beginning to succeed already. Mm -hmm. So, in Los Angeles County, they kind of put this to the test already. And so, their results after only one year, they found that 3,500 homeless people are already off the streets. 96% of study participants stayed in the program. Taxpayers saved more than six point five million in one year alone, and participants visited the ER seventy percent less. So we're seeing that this type, that this correlation between the housing and the mental health, is that missing link that the current program isn't isn't doing um, and isn't considering. And I think that's where we're going to actually make some progress. So even though, yeah, it's diverting funds, I think it's a necessary diversion.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that'll be really interesting. You know, a lot of people are trying to attack the epidemic on homelessness in, in a lot of different ways and I think supportive assistive housing is, is one of them. We, we don't want to just give people a place to live. Um, most of the time mental health services, preventative health care and those types of things should be part of it and, and you know LA has been dealing with this so it's nice to see that a smaller version of it uh, yeah. has worked. So something to uh, you know and of course mental health issues Related to um, a lot of the things that we see with the school to prison pipeline, a lot of the kiddos that we work with, if, if left untreated or they're coming from low income families that have been on the streets, things like that. It's it's all a cycle, right? So right. that's why we felt uh, important to kind of bring that to your guys' attention. We are headed over to Proposition Four, which is the Children's Hospital Bonds Initiative. And I don't think that. It takes a a genius to kind of figure out obviously this is authorizing bonds to fund construction at hospitals providing children's health care. We deal with a lot of different kiddos with a range of unique needs from physical disabilities and mental health issues to those kiddos that are getting cancer treatments and are in children's mm-hmm. hospitals. So, for us, a lot of the people who are supporting it California Children's Hospital Association, California Teachers Association, Children's Hospital and Research Center in Oakland, Lucille Parker Children's Hospital that, that's in Stanford. And, uh, you know, it would authorize $1.5 So, it would break down to 72% for nonprofit hospitals that provide services to high volumes of kiddos. And those with special needs um, who are eligible for public assistance 18% would go to the University of California general acute care children's hospitals and 10% uh, would go for public and private nonprofit hospitals that provide services to children eligible for the California Children's Services CCS program
1: so just to kind of put it in perspective There are eight California non-for-profit children's hospitals and five University of California children's hospitals. Over two million times each year seriously ill children receive highly specialized care in California's children's hospital no matter what the family can pay. So this is what we're funding here. We're funding children with complex medical condition and life-threatening diseases to be able to get that treatment that is necessary no matter about their cost because more often than not we have children whose families can't afford insurance and private hospitals, they'd be turned away. So we need right. to be building this infrastructure of these nonprofit hospitals.
0: So California issues a bond and then a private investor buys that bond as an investment. The state would eventually repay using revenues from California's general fund or its main budget. So opponents of this, one of them was the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, um, which, you know, they're the number crunchers. So, you know, it would... For them, it would cost the state about $80 million each year over the next 35 years to repay those bonds. So, I mean, if you're really into numbers and crunching them and things like that, you know, you, there's plenty that you can look up on on Proposition 4 for Amanda and I, uh, you know, it really speaks to, again, who, who the Inclusive Education Project helps. Yeah,
1: and, and when we look at the grand scheme of things, the fiscal impact, yes, it can may seem like a lot of money, but considering how much money is put towards... Other sources that the state puts money towards. To put this in perspective, the hospitals say Proposition Four asks voters to consider investing. Basically, what it would do is less than forty dollars per year per patient is what they're asking for.
0: Oh, that's nice of a breakdown. Right.
1: So (laughs) you know, when we look at all the things that the state and federal governments pay money on, helping a sick kid, forty dollars a year per patient. I think we can do that.
0: Yeah. Definitely, definitely. So, Proposition Five, you would think, like, how are you guys even talking about this? This property tax transfer initiative. <laughs> um, so, we actually we did a lot of research on this one. So, we did some math. Yeah, we're we're just gonna, you know, we're, we're not really coming down one way or the other. We just want to kind of give you guys the information. But as a big uh, as a bit of a synopsis, so this initiative would amend the state constitution and it will allow home buyers who are older than fifty five disabled or who own property that is contaminated or destroyed by disaster to transfer their tax assessments from their old home to their new home, no matter the value of the new home, its location, or how many times the buyer has moved. So at first blush, you know, we were like, oh, okay, you know, this is something for people with disabilities. So that's why Amanda and I kind of wanted to um, get into it. And as we were kind of like breaking it down, I, you had given that, exa- I don't know how yeah. you can approach it. Yeah, so I'll, I'll give this example. So
1: a 55-year-old couple, and now this could be an older couple, this could be disabled, this could be contaminated home, right. one of those. Purchases of their home 30 years ago for $110,000. Their home's taxable value is now $200,000. Their yearly property tax bill is twenty-two hundred their home can now be sold for $600,000. The couple is considered moving into one of two homes, a more expensive home at $700,000 or a less expensive home at $450,000. If they decide under the current rules to buy a home that is equal or lesser value than their current value, they are allowed to assign the tax liability to their new home. So if they go and get a $450,000 home, instead of paying the property taxes on that $450,000 home, their home's tax value would be the same as their old home. So it would remain the 2200. So the purpose behind this, when it was created, was that if their people are on a fixed income, if they're elderly, if they're disabled, they're not gonna be able to pay a higher property tax 30 years after they bought their home. So it makes sense. Um, And under under the, the current law, if they were to go and buy a more expensive home, they're not allowed to to assign that tax, so they're having to pay higher tax. So what this is proposing is that no matter what, no matter if they're going to a more expensive home or a less expensive home, these people should be able to, if they're 55 or older or they're disabled or they're moving from a contaminated um, property, they should be allowed to purchase any level of home, whether it's more expensive (laughs) or less expensive than their current home, and assign that same tax liability. So there is the argument to be made, this helps people who
0: are elderly and, and disabled have a
1: lower tax issue, however. Or just like
0: move out of their larger homes so that, you know, these homes are freed up for younger families looking for homes. Right, yeah. right. But what it really does is
1: allows, allows that, that increased home, so,
0: right? so So taxes on your home, what do they go to? They go to schools. Right. They go to schools. They
1: go to law
0: enforcement. Right, right.
1: So there's a lot of people who are saying, look, these people who are, um, you know, being able to assign their tax value, there's not as much money that is going to the state um, because they're buying more expensive homes. Now, on one side of the argument, people say, well, if people are 55 or older, they're disabled. The The prices of these tax bills are really high now. Right, because you go from having a hundred thousand dollar home to a six hundred thousand dollar home, right. your property value, your taxes are, are really going to increase. So, mm-hmm. the idea is a lot of the people who are on fixed incomes by that point aren't going to be able to afford the increase. And so, you know, that's kind of the argument that they want to be able to say, well, they should be able to go to any home and still have that. Now, of course on one side, we're thinking, you know, we don't know where that person is going to be. They could try to buy a new home and it's feasibly not, they're not able to buy one that is, you know, of of lower value. But on the other hand, if they're able to pay for a more expensive home, you know, maybe they're able to afford the taxes. So it kind of goes both ways, you know, you know, we're, we're losing out on money on, on the property taxes. If we're passing this bill, Um, but then are we allowing rich people to be able to cut taxes because those are the people that afford more expensive homes.
0: Right. Well, I mean, yeah, it's more complicated than I'm voting yes and I'm supporting seniors, severely disabled people, and those with homes impacted by disaster, you know? It, right. It's it's I think a bit more complicated, and, and you see that in you know who, you know who supports it California Chamber of Commerce California Association of Realtors Californians for Disability Rights who opposes it California Teachers Association the YIMBY Action National Housing Law Project Congress of California Seniors you know if, if you're voting no I think you know you're you're looking at it like okay look. The current law already allows eligible home buyers to transfer their tax assessment if their new home is of equal or lesser value and allowing such a transfer only once in homeowners' lifetime. So there's already things that make this possible. This is just a blanket, like, yep, if you're over fifty-five, you know, and I think it's it's the writing of it. Um but that's why Amanda and I kind of wanted to get into this one a little bit because yeah. you know it's hard because of course, like California disability rights, like yeah, we're all for, you know. Yeah, we want to be able yeah. to
1: support them, but we but. also want to make sure that it is something that is supporting them, right? We, we often see when we get through, like, um, you see ads for propositions, There's a lot of information out there that's not accurate, right? So there are people who are saying, oh, well, this is supposed to help disabled people. But at the end of the day, a lot of these people may, I mean, if they're downsizing, they may be going to a less expensive home. So they already get this tax credit. So is it really just helping people who are over 55 that have money and are able to buy a bigger and more expensive home, you know? So we got to look at that. Obviously, we don't want to take money away from schools. There is the possible
0: impact of that, you know, That's the other side. So, yeah, good luck with that one. Uh, um, (laughs) Prop 7, we're not going to go into too much. We just thought it was interesting because of some of the arguments that were made. But Proposition 7 is Permanent Daylight Savings Time Measure. So, you know, everybody knows you spring forward and you fall back, right? So we're coming up on Daylight Savings. I think it's Sunday the, the 4th or it's ending, right? Um, November 4th, yeah, daylight so saving s- times end, so we s- fall back in yeah, hours. Set so, your clock back. Yeah, you would set your clock back. And who supports it? People on both sides. Who opposes it? People on both sides. <laughs> um, you know, if you vote yes, you're getting rid of the biannual daylight saving time changes, in case the federal law ever like eliminates it. Um, and if you're voting no, you're saying, I would like to maintain biannual daylight savings time yeah. changes. And we just thought this one was interesting because one of the arguments for um, opposing it is that in the morning, in the winter time, it's darker, and that can endanger children waiting for the bus mm-hmm. or going to school. Right. And then on the other side, if we just get rid of it, um, and this... Uh, affects a lot of people not just children but sleep patterns are disrupted right right? because you're like making this change and we had read a lot about why people wanting to get rid of it there have been studies that uh heart attacks go up right right? strokes strokes yeah in people more traffic accidents yeah more from it's like so crazy and like nature already
1: like changes yeah the Look, I mean, we would say (laughs) if if your kid is one of those kids that a disruptive sleep pattern is very disruptive for them, I'm sure you don't like daylight savings. So, this is your opportunity. I know. Go out and vote yes. Yeah. (laughs) And if you're just like, no, we've been doing this forever. Let's just maintain... Yeah. I maintain, mean, you know, people who get up very early in the morning, maybe you work early in the morning. In the winter, obviously, it's going to be different, right? If you work outside in the mornings and you, it's beneficial to have that light, right. you might not want to vote yeah. for this because it is going to be darker longer. But, you know, Arizona does it. Yeah. Well, they like, don't do they it, are, I guess, yeah. in the yeah, sense of they don't have daylight savings. Yeah. So if this passes, we'll have our last daylight savings ending In November, (laughs) November 4th, and then the election is on the 6th. So the next spring, we won't spring forward. Yeah, you wouldn't spring we'll forward. See. So. We'll or see. No, we'll
0: Stay see. Stay tuned for that. <laughs> um, and the last prop that we're going to um, discuss is Prop 8. And it, it actually, the limits on dialysis clinics revenue and required refunds initiative. So Amanda and I took our time with this one as well, trying to understand it. So And it's a tough use. one. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, so Proposition 8 regulates how much an outpatient dialysis clinic can charge for kidney dialysis treatment. So, we've had clients in the past that have had um, kidney dialysis, and the the short end of it is your kidneys do not work, so you may have to go to a clinic up to three times a week, four hours each time, to have your kidneys, to have this dialysis, you're hooked up to a machine, do the job of your kidneys, which is remove toxins. So... This one, it, it's like a little bit complicated, um, but it would require these clinics to refund patients or their insurance providers any profits above 115% of the cost for direct patient care and health care improvements. And we were like, okay. <laughs> so Amanda kind of...
1: Yeah, so, so what's happening is we have these big corporations that own these clinics, and they're making a lot of profit, and the profit is exponentially above and beyond the cost of care so the idea of this bill is that it would refund some of the profits so then that way you know these corporations are not making this enormous amount of profits
0: and and so, and so what, that would go to better care like hiring more caregivers purchasing new equipment and ensuring like clean safe facilities and that's the idea behind the law but what people
1: are saying is that The reality of it is if there's less profits for these clinics, then they're going to actually, if they have to do all of these refunds, they're going to actually operate as a loss. And the likelihood is the access to these clinics is going to decrease because some of them are going to need to close or the demand is going to be higher than the supply. And so the thought is that this is actually going to hurt dialysis patients because it's going to um, impede access to care. Mm-hmm. On the other side, we have heard from people who say that certain clinics are dilapidated and are not great facilities and the patient care is not great. And so they need the money to go back into providing better quality care. But I think where there's difficulties with this, and oftentimes this happens with bills, is that things get so convoluted Mm -hmm. that the idea behind it to increase care may actually do more harm than good because... Are there actually requirements um, on on how this is right. done, right? Because we say, like, oh, it's supposed to go towards care, but what are the parameters by that, mm-hmm. you know, and who's enforcing it? Who's overseeing this? So what might end up happening is the profit goes back to the insurance company and the clinics then have to close and then people right. aren't getting care. So this is a really tough one because there are arguments on both sides of it. And without really knowing how the law is going to play out, it's... It, it's a tough one to to kind of look at.
0: And Californians, uh, voters, have been notorious for shooting down certain propositions because of how they're written. You know, it's just they like the idea behind it, but it's just not written well. And I feel like a lot of Californians take the time to kind of look at that, which is, which is important because that's, that's where man and I are, are on this one. We would, we would have to do a bit more research. Um, and, and we wanted to, but you know, it's not our job to make the decision for you. It was just kind of right. trying to present as best as we could, those propositions that we felt impacted us in a certain way. And, and it was a majority of them.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, hopefully this at least starts the conversation in your mind and it starts your legwork. work of doing your research for this election. A lot has happened in the last couple of years based on the new administration. A lot of people are outraged, a lot of people are upset. At the end of the day, the only way to make things change is to vote. And it's not just it's not just presidential elections. It is these local elections, yeah, it's local the congressional elections it's these propositions. These really do impact people's lives. So, you know, no matter who you vote for, what we just encourage is that you go into your research Mm -hmm. because an educated voter is the most important voter, right? Um, We hope that you don't just go by party lines because it's really important that the people you're voting for share your values and, and not just party preference. So we really hope that, you know, that this takes some time, for you to kind of get the ball rolling, right, because you get these packets in the mail, I have them right in front of me, and and it's a lot of it 's a lot of pages, and who has time to read through them right so we 're hoping that with this conversation it gets you started, yeah. so then that way the rest of your research isn 't too crazy, so that way you
0: can do it and vote because it's, yeah. it is so important and again, shout out to um, vote Save America at VoteSaveAmerica.com. dot com for uh, providing these practice ballots, if you will. Um, But it's a super innovative and really easy to use uh, website so that you could save your answers um, and then you could just have it on your phone when you go to vote and um, in in case, you know, you forgot your ballot like at home or, you know, your sample at home. So we want to thank them for doing that and for uh, letting us share that information with you guys. So hopefully you guys get out to vote on the 6th of November and you know we'll be posting our our stickers of when we voted so hopefully we'll we'll see a lot of sticker posts on the Facebook page and uh, and Halloween posts as well don't forget that yeah don't forget the Halloween post (laughs) so hopefully you guys enjoyed this one it's a little different but we felt it was important to get the word out there because that's what we're about starting that conversation so we'll talk to you next week bye bye